Well, thanks for being with us today. I'm excited as we talk about uh, in this series called Walking with Giants. We've just ticked, picked different characters out of the Bible. There's so many of them. And today I want to talk about a lady named Esther. Esther was a young lady that God used in a, in a miraculous way to, to really to save the Jews, to save all God's people. And uh, we're going to kind of unpack that story. And there are three main characters in the story. I'm just going to kind of start off because I want to sort of tell the story. We're going to back it up with scripture, of course, but I don't want to read chapters one through nine to you because uh, it's, a, it's a long story, but I want to summarize it if I can and just make some points from Esther's life. Uh, but basically, the king had a queen and he deposed the queen and wanted a new queen. So they basically had a beauty contest and said, get all the prettiest girls in all the land together and I'm going to pick one of them to be my, to be my next queen, right? So Esther eventually through a series of events gets picked. It's kind of like a really perverted version of The Bachelor, basically. He like uh, basically said, I want to pick all these girls out and sleep with every one of them. And then which one of them to like the most is going to become the next queen. I said it's perverted for a reason. So uh, we use the word king. That's what the Bible calls them. But really today we would probably more appropriately call them, call them dictators. These were not really nice guys. And so this guy... Uh, you know, said, go throughout the land, you know, and, and find the prettiest girls and then, you know, get them all ready. They put them through these beauty treatments, the whole thing. So Esther got picked. She was immediately a ringer because she was gorgeous, apparently. She just, she just was, she just had it going on straight up. And so uh, basically the king fell in love with her. He's like, you're the one. And so he's like, hey, babe, out of all the 500 women I sleep with, you're my favorite really sincere, isn't it? Isn't that beautiful? So anyways, that's pretty much kind of how it worked. I mean, again, I'm, I'm not telling you it's a beautiful love story. That's, that's really not the love story of the story. The, the love story is, is what Esther did for her people. But anyway, so that's, that's uh, what the, how it works. So she became, becomes queen. I want to pick up in the story in Esther chapter 2. It says, the king loved Esther more than any other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen. So he had a harem of women, but he was like, you're the main one. You're the queen, right? So she becomes the, the queen. And so, and that, that sounds great. But as we unpack the story, we realize that God allowed her to become queen, not just because she was beautiful, but because God had a purpose for her in being queen. So if you're going to take some notes, would you write this down? First thing I want to encourage you to write down is that your privilege is not for your pleasure, but for God's purpose. Your privilege is not really just for your pleasure, but for God's purpose. Now, she was beautiful. She was very attractive. So she immediately got the eye of the king. And of course, everyone thought, oh, yeah, she's a perfect queen because she's so gorgeous. And so that gave her position. But then God used that position for a greater purpose. And so her beauty was great, but there was a lot more to her than her beauty. I can really relate to her because people get caught up in my beauty as well. And so, <laughs> but it was way beyond that. So turn to the person next to you and just say, I'm not just a pretty face. Just let them know I'm not just attractive, okay? Just let them know, okay? I know I'm gorgeous, but there's more to me, all right? Just let them know. So she becomes queen, and I just want to mention right off the bat, maybe God's given you an opportunity to have some privilege. Maybe, you know, hey, I'm the quarterback of my football team. That's great. Can you not be like most people that become quarterback and be a jerk, but actually be nice and use your, your, your newfound school fame to influence kids in a good way? Wouldn't that be nice? Uh, maybe you got the corner office. Maybe you got first string. Maybe you got the position, the, the, the promotion you wanted. But so many times we use all those privileges for ourselves rather than seeing beyond ourselves and say, wait, wait a minute, maybe God, you give me this opportunity for other people. Maybe, you know, you're, you're the, the family that you know, you're making over a hundred grand a year. I mean, that's good money. So is it all for you or is there anything left over 
so you can impact other people's lives. Or dare I say, not left over once you prioritize it, put it in the front end. Instead, say, God, you've given me this. I want to be a blessing to other people. So fame is something people shoot for. Money, wealth, opportunities, doors to be open, all those things. And we, we pray prayers all the time. Oh, God, use me. Do great things in me. But then when we get blessed by God, do we remember God? Right? So here she is. She's queen, which is great. But what's she going to do with this new opportunity? Now, there's two other people in the story. There's a guy named Mordecai who was the uncle of uh, Esther. She, he basically raised her, by the way. And so, but he was uncle. So, so he was Jewish, obviously. He's older. So he remembers when the Jews were persecuted. She was young, doesn't really remember all that. So he, he told her when she was picked by the king, do not tell the king you're Jewish. He's like, just keep your nationality quiet. He's, she's like, why? He said, I know you don't understand this because it didn't happen to you. But in my generation, we were persecuted. Many people died. So please don't mention that. And she was like, okay. So she honored him and didn't mention it. And then comes along a guy named Haman, who was in the king's uh, bodyguard. He was, he was uh, basically, you understand, if you got high up next to a king like this, it wasn't because you were respected and a nice guy. It was because you were feared and a bad guy. So for Haman to be working closely with the king and the king put him over everybody, that means that he was basically the most ruthless of them. This would be like climbing the ranks in the KGB, that you don't get there because you're so sharp. You get there because you're so cruel. And so that's how Haman was. So Haman was a cool guy. He demanded everyone bow down to him everywhere he went. He didn't like this Mordecai guy who also worked for the king. He didn't like Mordecai because Mordecai didn't bow down to him because Mordecai had another God. He's like, no, I'm not bowing down to anyone but God. So he didn't do that. So he did not like Mordecai at all. In fact, at one point, he says, you know, I can't stand Mordecai, but rather than me put my hands on Mordecai, rather than me take him out, I think I'll just take out all of his people. So his hate spread quickly. And that, that's how hate works, by the way, is if you don't work through anger that you have towards someone, it will spread. This is why there's some women who say all men are bad, all men are pigs, or, or some men think all women are evil. Well, the, you know, when I want to say to both those people is, you know, who hurt you? So now you've taken the anger and the hurt you have for one person and spread it to everyone. This is how all the isms start. Sexism, racism, you name all the isms, right? And so when people typically are racist, it's because someone, either they learned it from someone who's racist or they became racist because someone hurt them and that they were not the same skin color. And so now all people of this skin color are this way. Well, that's just not true. This is when, what happens when hatred spreads. So here, here is Haman who hates Mordecai because Mordecai won't bow to him. He won't kiss his butt, basically. So he's like, you know what? Let's kill all the Jews. Again, that's how hatred works. It spreads if you don't take care of it. So let's pick up on the story now and see what happens here. Esther chapter 3. When Haman saw that Mordecai would not bow down or show him respect, he was filled with rage. He had learned of Mordecai's nationality, so he decided it was not enough to lay hands on Mordecai alone. Instead, he looked for a way to destroy all the Jews throughout the entire empire. Fast forward in the story. It says in Esther chapter 3 verse 8. Then Haman approached King Xerxes and said... This, there's a certain race of people scattered throughout all the province of your empire who keep themselves separate from everyone else. Their laws are different from those of any other people. And they refuse to obey the laws of the king. So it, is, so it is not in the king's interest to let them live. If it pleases the king, issue a decree that they be destroyed. And the king agreed. Now he said, first of all, he lied because he said, oh, these people are, they won't obey you. Well, there's literally not a single bit of evidence of that. But they wrote a law against the Jews saying we can kill all the Jews. Why? Because they don't obey the king. Well, there's, there's literally no evidence of this. So this is just made up. And so at this point, he just wanted to use the king's authority to kill all the Jews. Now, I'm not going to read all the scripture in this, but I'll tell you this. Morde uh, Haman hated Mordecai. Haman was also a really rich guy. 
And so because of that, he said to the king, hey, I'll pay for it. So then he put out the decree. Basically, he said, if you kill a Jew, I'm going to pay you money for that. So he literally puts a, a, a bounty on every Jewish person's head. And so, again, these are ruthless times. And so people were ruthless. And so then they picked, they picked a day, by the way, that they're going to kill, kill all the Jews. This is going to be purge day. And so basically they were going to purge all the empire of, of Jewish people. That day was, was cast by lots, and the Lord allowed that day to be almost a year away. So God gave the Jewish people, God gave Mordecai and his niece, who was the queen, Esther, time. And the greatest gift God gives you and I is also the same thing, time. Maybe God brought you today to church to tell you you're not using your gift. The gift I gave you is time. You have time to go to rehab. You have time to finish your degree. You have time to get the promotion. You have time to turn your health around. It's not too late. You still have time to quit smoking and extend your life 20 more years. You still have time to get your marriage right. You still have time to get right with God. God gives us a gift of time, but there's going to be a day when you no longer have that gift. So I want to challenge you to use time wisely. You say, oh, I've wasted so many years. I'm not going to have a retirement. Whoa, whoa, whoa. You're not retired yet. You still have time. You have time to double up. You have time to invest. So don't miss those kinds of opportunities. And so what does this mean? Basically, he goes to the king and the king says, oh, sure, we'll do that. Then it says in Esther chapter four, Mordecai went out into the city crying with a loud and bitter wail as news of the king's decree reached all the provinces. There was great mourning among the Jews. They fasted, wept, and they wailed. They knew they were going to die. So they were obviously very upset. So the first thing is your privilege is not for your pleasure, but for your purpose. Number two, use your privilege to solve problems. So Esther happened to have the ear of the king so she could be an influence if she chose to be, if she was willing to do that. She, she could influence them. I just want to stop real quick and just say, the last couple of weeks, we have told you that we need a scholarship for students. I'm so proud of our church. We have the most generous church. So we needed between 50 and 80 grand uh, to come in. There's, I know there's a fluctuating number, but we always have a little bit of overflow that we use for the next year uh, in case we need scholarships. We're not sure where they always land. Uh, and we scholarship a, a lot of the students, but that's not a full scholarship. I want to be real clear. It, it's people pay what they can, and then we will make up the difference, basically. But I want to tell you, I asked you the last couple weeks for you guys to give between fifteen and eighty thousand dollars, and what did you do? You gave one hundred and twenty thousand dollars. So thank you guys so much. It's unbelievable, incredible, and so. Thank you so much for that. We will use all of those resources for scholarships this year, and then it will bleed over some into next year. But it felt really nice. Several texts came my way this week from businessmen in our church saying, hey, how much money do you still need? And I got to text them back something I've never said before. We have all the money we need. But I don't think it's ever happened before. And so there's a place in the Bible where Moses held, had to tell the people to quit giving. He's like, no, we have more than enough. I never thought I'd see that day, but thank you. We're good. You guys gave all the money for the scholarships. We're good. So praise God. Doesn't mean the budget's met, but I'm just saying, you know, like on scholarships, we're good. That was incredible. So grateful. I do want to say, by the way, we still have room for your student. And so if you have a student that maybe you say, I don't have all the money for camp, well, we can help you. We, we want you to do what you can, but we can, we can match that money. We can help you out. Maybe you can pay one third or one half or two thirds. We can help you, but please don't let money keep your kid from going to camp. There are roughly a little under 200 spots left. So also if you're a student going to camp and there's some friend you've been thinking about lately, Call them up, invite them, bring them to camp with you. You may be the very person that connects them to God. You can help change their life. And so 
calling all students, invite your friends to camp. The money's there, now you need to use your time, time is of the essence on this, to get your friend to go to camp with you. So by the way, then you won't feel alone at camp anyways, you'll have your buddy with you. So please do that, bring your friend in, you have a wingman, so you can, you know, like, you'll be working your way into the girls, you know what I'm saying, come on, you need a wingman, <laughs> all right? So invite your friend to join you for camp, it's gonna be great. So use your privilege to solve problems, much like we did as a church this last week and gave, and we're very, very thankful for that. Now, look what happens next. Mordecai gets a message directly to Queen Esther. And so basically he would walk near kind of the encampment area where the harem hung out. Literally, I'm using the word they use in the Bible there. He, the king had a harem, she was in that. And so he would walk up next to the fence and, and then someone would come over and, and then he'd get a message to Queen Esther. And so, because he did not want, so, so Mordecai was Jewish and Haman knew it, but Haman had no idea about the connection between Mordecai and Queen Esther. He didn't know that at all. So when he decreed, let's kill all the Jews, he had no idea that included the queen. He didn't know that. And, and the queen didn't tell anyone. So that was a little secret between Mordecai and Queen Esther. So Mordecai gets a word to Queen Esther. And this is what the word is. The Mordecai said to her, don't think for a moment that because you're in the palace, you will escape when all the other Jews are killed. If you keep quiet at a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place, but you and your relatives will die. Who knows if perhaps you were made queen for just such a time as this. Can I tell you something that may really surprise you? How many of you guys thought the last couple of years have been crazy? I mean, between race issues and riots, between cities on fire, between COVID and the craziness attached with that and people losing their lives. I mean, just, it's been maddening. And now we've got, you know, the, a war going on that could, get, could easily turn into World War III if we're not careful. I mean, it's a crazy time. Can I tell you something that may surprise you? God knew all that and he birthed you in this season because he needs you to do your job. Amen. He knew it was coming. So we have a role to play in fixing this world. And so you have to respond when God speaks to you. So Mordecai says, hey, Esther, maybe the Lord let you become queen for this very purpose. Maybe this is why God brought you here in this place. And I love this line. He says this, if you keep quiet in a time like this, deliverance and relief for the Jews will arise from some other place. Did you notice that Mordecai never doubted that God would protect him? He says, I know God will protect us. But if you don't respond, God will use someone else. I, I just, I felt like when, when I read this, honestly, I wept by the end of the story. I literally was on my knees crying reading the story because it's so powerful and how God used Esther to save literally millions of lives. And it just reminded me that God has called our church to save a million souls. But this was reminding me that God was saying, if you don't honor me, I can lift my hand from you and let another church do it. In other words, God's saying, I'm gonna get my will done. Are you gonna be the one who does it? In every area of life, God says, you know what? You're the one I called to do it, but I do have replacements. I can have someone else do that. You know, you, God called you to be the father of that child, but if you don't do it, I'll bring in a youth minister, a teacher, a coach. That kid is gonna get what they need. God's gonna provide it for them, but wouldn't it be sad if it came from someone other than you? Isn't that interesting how God works like that? God's saying, hey, I want you to know, Esther, yes, you got the role, but don't forget there was a queen before you. So do the job God calls you to do. And your job isn't just to sit there and look pretty. Your job is to be an influence to the king. And so at this point, Esther gets a message back to Mordecai and says, please pray and fast for the next three days. And I will pray and fast for the next three days as well. And so the third thing I want you to write down is when your wake up call comes, stop and pray. Maybe today is a wake-up call for you. 
Maybe God brought you here today because he's trying to, to get your attention say, you still have time to change things, but you need to get moving. So it's time to pray and fast. Fasting is very powerful, by the way. Why, why do you fast? You basically say, I'm going to set aside food uh, for a meal or a day or two of meals because I want to recognize that what I really need is you, God. I need you more than food. And so, again, I don't recommend fasting if you have health issues. But, you know, people say, oh, fasting is so unhealthy. Actually, it's incredibly healthy. There's incredible benefits to it, health benefits. But even whether you do it for that or not, sometimes you seem to stop and pray. And sometimes that means fasting as well. So if God is speaking to you, maybe it's time to take a couple of days and just stop and pray and seek the Lord and, uh, and see what God would have you do. So now, on the third day of the fast, pick it up. Esther chapter 5. Now we've gone through five chapters of Esther, by the way. Good job. Here we go. Esther chapter 5. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace. Now, before I go any further, let me tell you right now, that was the boldest move she made. She just showed up. Let me tell you why it's so bold. You see, Esther was on a rotation, and she was like, she told Mordecai, I won't see the king for another 30 days. He's got to go through 30 women before he gets to me. I'm not approving of this. I'm just saying that's just the way it was. So, like, so he's, she's on this harem rotation. And so she's like, I won't even see the king for another 30 to 60 days. And Mordecai says, we may not have that long. You need to go see him. She's like, I can't. If you, if you go interrupt the king, he can have you killed for that. She said, I may die. And Mordecai basically said, you may die anyways. So sometimes you can't not act. So she gets all dressed up. She puts on her royal robes. What does that mean? She steps into her authority as queen and she goes and sees the king. On the third day of the fast, Esther put on her royal robes and entered the inner court of the palace. Can I just tell you right now before we go any further that maybe the, the hardest thing you need to do is just show up. Half the win you will have is just showing up. You say, I'm just not in good shape. Just show up at the gym. You don't have to have a plan. Just show up. You know, so I'm not very good at school. Just keep showing up and eventually they'll give you a degree to get rid of you. Just keep showing up. <laughs> I am proof of that. Just keep showing up. You know, I was at a graduation yesterday for my daughter. They had like summa cum laude. Man. I graduated, thank the laude. You know what I'm saying? That's, <laughs> that's how I got out. I just kept showing up and they're like, get rid of this guy. Just get him out of here. Just give him a piece of paper. Sign something. There, you're, you leave us alone. You want to honor God? You want, you want your life to be changed? Keep showing up at church. Just show up. Just, just get here. You want God to take the next level in your leadership? Just sign up to serve and then show up. Just be here on time, ready to go. If you'll just show up, that's half the battle. She showed up. The king was sitting on his royal throne facing the entrance. When he saw Queen Esther standing there in the, near, in the inner court, he welcomed her and held out the gold scepter to her. What that means is that all the, all the king's men were there to protect him. And so she just opens the door unannounced and, and kneels. The men rose. They're like, what? And they're, they're about to go off. They're probably going to grab her and take her outside because it's incredibly disrespectful. That's how it worked back then. And so the king immediately held up a scepter. And so he says, no, 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 no. Don't hurt her. And so, because he liked, he liked her. You know, he's like, she's, I mean, she's got it going on. You know, let's be nice. Let's. <laughs> so he says, Queen Esther, do you need something? please approach me. So check it out. This is what happens. He welcomed her and he held out the golden scepter to her. So Esther approached and touched the end of the scepter. Then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it is half the kingdom. And Esther replied, if it pleases the king, 
Let the king and Haman come today to a banquet I prepare for the king. Oh, Esther is a bad woman. <laughs> Let me tell you what she just did. She just said, keep your friends close, keep your enemies. Uh-huh. Oh, I want to have a banquet. She, he says, what do you need? Just ask. And she says, no, I don't want to ask it. I want to invite you, my king, to the banquet and Haman. Haman has no, Haman is so clueless. Guys, we're so clueless. Women are doing circles around us. That's the truth. I right? just let you know right now. It's the truth. We, they're doing circles because they just, we just see their beauty. We're like, I don't, I don't even hear what you're saying anymore. I'm just looking at you. I don't even hear what you're saying. And so basically she says, I want you both to come to a banquet and I just want to honor you. Notice she doesn't make her question. This is so brilliant. You want some persuasion? You want the art of communication? Here it is. Don't make your request without first showing honor. We keep saying, I don't know why my kid won't listen to me. I don't know why my spouse won't listen to me. I don't know why my boss won't listen to me. I don't know why my employees won't listen to me. Well, if you just keep showing up and saying, I need you to change this. I need you to work on this. I need you. They're going to quit listening to you. But if you take the time, slow down. I want to just, I just want to take you out to eat and just ask, how are you doing? Just tell me about your world. What's going on? If you'll take a moment to honor them before you make a single request. And then when you're like, okay, now I've done it. Now I'm going to make a request. No, 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 no. Don't do it yet. Add a little more honor. So she said, hey, let's get together. Then they got together. And so now they're just like, what would you like? Oh, no, no, I want to have another, another night. Let's do another. Like, she, he's like, well, when are you going to ask me? Well, I will eventually, but I want to honor you some more. She keeps putting it off. She's building, building some momentum here. And, and the king's like, wow, I must be pretty special. Even Haman gets in. He's like, man, I must be a big deal. Look, I was right. I knew I was a big deal. I'll tell everyone I'm a big deal. Now I know I am. He is so set up and doesn't even realize it. And so she says, I, I, before I make a request, would you come to a banquet I'm going to throw it in your honor? Number four, be willing to take a risk. Put your life in God's hands. I feel like it was only appropriate today on this Memorial Day weekend that we speak of someone who put their life in God's hands. Corporal Anderson James shares a story of his grandfather who was, uh, was re retired in the Army. Uh, in the Korean War, this man uh, was assigned to a tank division. And uh, his commanding officer was leading away, walking with the tanks behind him. And they were in a valley, and they didn't think they were walking anything, but they walked into an ambush. The commander was holding up his compass, looking at it, trying to figure out which direction to go, when a sniper bullet from behind him fired through his neck and then through his hand. He immediately dropped. His blood's going everywhere. I mean, he was a through and through. He's still commanding his men, 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 get in the tanks, get in the tanks, we've got to get out of here. It was ambushed, they're getting fired on heavily. A lot of, uh, a lot of the army uh, men that day died, a lot of soldiers died in battle. And uh, there were three of them left out of like 30. And so he said, get in the tank, get in the tank. And they're like, we've got to get you, sir. And they're grabbing him and they, they put him on top of the tank. He's bleeding out. And he says, forget about me, you guys get in the tank. So all th there's only room enough for the three of them. There wasn't room for a fourth. That's how tight these tanks are. They all get in, and he's laying on top of the tank. He says, go, go, go. And they're going. They're still being shot at. As they're being shot at, the last guy in the tank uh, says, no, no, no. He gets out, and he says, let me out, let me out. And he gets out, and the, the commander says, no, get back in the tank. He says, no, sir, I won't do that. And he comes in and lays on top of him. He says, what are you doing? And he says, sir, we have to have you protected. We need you to lead the troops. Your life, this is a quote, is more valuable than mine. So he laid his body over him. They rode out for several hundred more feet, actually several hundred yards to get away from the ambush 
when they finally got to safety, sure enough, the commanding officer on the bottom, his life was spared. But the man on top took 67 bullets in his body and gave his life for his commanding officer. That's what service looks like. That's what it looks like. He gave his life. He showed up. Aren't we thankful for our military? I know I am. Some things are more important than our lives. And Esther was faced with that at this moment. She realized, I may die, but if I die, I die. Because this is more important than, than my life. And so at this point, she invites him to this banquet. They, they have a get-together. She says, hey, come again the next night. I'm going to do another banquet. But before that happens, something really unique happens here in Esther chapter 6. That night, the king had trouble sleeping. So he ordered an attendant to bring the book of the history of his reign so it could be read to him. So he's like, hey, I can't sleep. Go get the book that's been written about me and come read it to me. Did I mention that these dictators are arrogant? Have I mentioned that? Like, hey, let's all get together and y'all talk about how great I am. I'm just going to sit and listen. And so that's exactly what happens here. So they're reading the book on his life and on his reign. And as they read it, they come across something that he did not know. That night, the king had trouble, right? So in those records, he discovered an, an account of how Mordecai had exposed the plot to assassinate King Xerxes. What reward or recognition did we ever give Mordecai for this? The king asked. His attendants replied, nothing has been done for him. So he didn't know that Mordecai heard that the two of the top guards that were guarding the king's life were plotting to kill him so that they could become king. Mordecai heard about it. Mordecai got word to Esther. This is why the king would know, because Esther wasn't, connected, wasn't going to connect the dots that Mordecai was, was his uncle, because everyone knew Mordecai was a Jew, but they didn't know Esther was. So that's why Mordecai told Esther early on, don't tell anyone, right, that we know each other, that you're a Jew. So so this stopped the plot to kill the king. The king was like, well, what did we ever do? We didn't do anything for him. What? That's not right. So all night long, the king's thinking, I need to do something for Mordecai. So the next morning, he wakes up after getting a little bit of sleep, and he's thinking about, what can I do for Mordecai? In walks Haman, who literally hates Mordecai's guts. He walks in. Talk about God's timing. He walks in, and the king's sitting there, and, and, more, and uh, Haman says, hey, King Xerxes, what's on your mind? I can tell you're thinking about something. He goes, I just got a question. What would you do for a man that you really want to honor if you're the king. And of course, Haman is so arrogant. He's like, he wants to honor me. This is so good. So he's like, oh, I know what you're talking about. I get it. You want to honor someone. Here's what I would do. I'd give him your best horse, get him all dressed up in your best outfit, and then have someone walk him all around town, announcing to everyone as they walked on their nice horse and say, here's what the king, the king does for a man that he loves. And the king says, that's a great idea. Now go do that for Mordecai. He's like, what? He's shocked. Like, you gotta be kidding me. I mean, so this, this story reads like a, like a Hollywood movie. I mean, so you're like, you've got to be kidding. He's like, oh, no. So he doesn't know. The king has no idea that he can't stand Mordecai. So now the king says, do everything you said exactly as you said it. So now Haman has to get Mordecai dressed up on the horse and everywhere he's walking around going, here's the man the king loves. And he's so angry. He's like, ah! he's so mad doing this all day long. He goes home in anger and he gets his wife and all his friends together. And he goes, you're not going to believe what I had to do today. I had to go honor that psycho. I, can't, I had to go honor Mordecai. I hate his guts. And his wife, who apparently was as bloodthirsty as he, as he was, she said, that is horrible. You, you should do, honey, you should make a pole 75 foot tall and put it in our front yard so you can impale Mordecai on it. 
And he was like, that's a great idea. So that he makes this poll, right? He comes back the next day and he's about to spill the beans to the king about how he needs to take out Mordecai and he's a big problem. I know you love him, but let me tell you something about, so he's about to do that. And as he walks in, the king says, hey, by the way, we're ready for our banquet that you and I are invited to. He's like, oh, but I need to tell you, no, 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 the banquet. He's like, okay, yes, sir. So now he sits down at this banquet. I mean, all this food, all these attendants are all around him. It's just the queen, the king, and Haman at this banquet. Just imagine this. And so Haman is filled with hate for Mordecai. All he's thinking about, I just want to kill him. I just want to kill him and kill all his people. That's all he's thinking about. And he's sitting at this banquet and he has no idea what's coming next. Finally, the king says, Esther, this has been days now. Would you just finally ask me whatever you want to ask me? And it's just the two of them and Haman. And Esther then says, if I have found favor with the king and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. Now at this point, the king realizes, oh, you're Jewish. He had, she, he had no idea. He, he didn't realize, oh, now it got personal. He's like, are you kidding me? And then look at the king says, the king gets angry. Who would do such a thing? And then she says, him. <laughs> Can you imagine this moment? Haman is more, he's like, I'm dead. I'm dead. I'm just, and he was, he knew it. He was like, this is, I'm, I've been played. I'm done. So look what happened. I love how she puts it. Who would do such a thing? King Xerxes demanded. Who would be so presumptuous as to touch you? Esther replied, this wicked Haman is our adversary and our enemy. At this point, the king stands up and she's furious. He's raging. He's like, what? Oh, and he walks out. At that moment when he walks out in the courtyard to think about all this, immediately Haman drops the floor at the, king, the queen's feet. He's like, I'm so sorry. Please spare my life. I'm so sorry. And queen's like, not having it. Talk to the hand. Ain't happening. <laughs> and she's like, are you kidding me? You're going to ask me to spare your life. But yet you have been planning for the last year to kill all of us. Guys, you may want to heed God's warning because when God's judgment comes, it ain't pretty. Amen. And so at this moment, everything changed. And guess what? Servants know, don't they? You want to really know about someone? Ask the servants. Be careful who works around you. They're the ones who write the books on the exposés, right? And so at this moment, right, one of the king's eunuchs, uh, I'll let you look that up in case you don't know what that means. Um, one of the king's assistants says this. I think the opportune moment happened. This, this, basically, they all couldn't stand Haman. And so at this moment, the assistant was like, by the way, in case you didn't know, king, there's a giant pole in Haman's yards right now to kill Mordecai on it. And by the way, Mordecai, at this moment, you know, they must've been like, you know, Mordecai, Queen Esther's uncle. And he was like, what? Like the king was so cool. I, I always find it funny in all the stories in the Bible, how clueless the kings are. <laughs> it just should be a reminder to you that when you think someone's running things, they're not. God's got you. He's got you. You can trust him. He knows what he's doing. By the way, before I go any further on this, I forgot number five. I want to tell you this. Two things you can count on. God goes before you because God caused the king to read that book that told the story about Mordecai. And also the devil always overplays his hand. The devil always. You know why? You know who overplays your plans? Arrogant people. They always overplay their hand. And when they do, it hits them. It hurts them. So I just want to encourage you. If someone has an agenda, an evil agenda to push through, here's the good news about evil agendas. They're always overplayed and then it backfires on them. 
So just know that it's, it's, it's going to backfire. You, you want to see what backfiring looks like? Just go ask Vladimir Putin. He's living it now. He's like, we'll take out Ukraine a couple days. Talk about overplaying your hand, you know? And so, but we could go all throughout history, and that, this story's still being written. But I'm telling you, time and again, people overplay their hand. So if someone's out to get you in the office, they're overplaying their hand. Don't sweat it. Don't be nervous. God's got you. He, he, he can take care of you. He really can. Isn't that good news? Check it out. Then the king's assistant said, Haman has set up a sharpened pole that stands 70 feet, 75 feet tall in his own courtyard. He intended to use it to impale Mordecai, the man who saved the king from assassination. As he's saying this, the king walks in, the king says, then go impale him on it. So Haman dies by the same standard by which he kills. And that is very consistent in history. Or as Jesus put it, those who live by the sword, die by the sword. Those who live by the impalement, die by the impalement, right? And so that's exactly what happens. After this, then Esther says, king, please do something about this. You've got to protect my people. And the king says, well, I've already put the decree out that they can kill the Jews, so I can't go back on my word. That's how it works with kings. So she said, that's okay. But he, but he said, but you know what? You get together with Mordecai and you write whatever law you want to write and I'll sign it. And so this is, this is what they did. They wrote a law that said the Jews can defend themselves and the king is in support of the Jews. That just turned the tables. So now it wasn't the Jews got spared. Now it was the Jews can actually arm up and they can go fight the people. See, they've had a year, which means all these people that hated Jews all came out of the woodwork. Oh, we hate them. Let's make a list. Let's, let's, let's have a Jew-hating party. And they all got together and they made their big list. You know, like, yeah, we hate Jews. We hate Jews t-shirts. And I mean, they were, they were like fanatically going to kill the Jews. So everyone knew who they were. So now the Jews, the king basically said, oh yeah, now you know who they are. You can go take arms against them. They're like, what? All of a sudden, Jews are like, boy, you called on the wrong people. <laughs> so then the Jews turned around, and by the end of the story, the Jews killed 75,000 people who were trying to kill them. So God's saying, oh, I protect you. I'll take out your enemy while protecting you. That's how God works. And so be bold. Number six, speak up, for you have the ear of the king. I don't know what's going on in your life, but you got the ear of the king. I don't know what's happening right now in your life, but God is listening to you. He says, pray. God is requesting you to ask him. And he's saying to you through the story, I'll give you up to half the kingdom. What do you need? So before you sit here and complain and whine about your problems, God's saying, I got an ear. I'm waiting. Would you please ask me finally what you need and know that I will come through for you? You have the ear of the king. So ask God for what it is that you need. And then just know this, number seven, you've been positioned to make a difference. You've been positioned to make a difference. So let me just ask you this. Is every single request you have about you, God bless me. Give me favor. Give me promotion. Give me a raise. Help me have this opportunity. Bless me with the right person. Bless me with this. God, me, 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 me. At what point do you become the queen of your world? You finally realize, oh, maybe God didn't bless me with all the stuff I have, the influence I have, the opportunities I have for me. Maybe, just maybe, God wants me to be positioned to bless others. Amen. Maybe that's why I'm in this spot. So right now with her head bowed and her eyes closed, how has God positioned you to be an influence? Can I let you in a little secret if you're unhappy? Unhappy people are people who keep trying to make themselves happy. 
But when you get your eyes off yourself and say, God, I realize I'm trying to become famous or rich or whatever, trying to reach all my goals. And the truth is, that's all about me. It won't satisfy. It will not satisfy. If your head bowed and your eyes closed, true success is when you use your influence and your affluence to help others like Esther did. You see, we knew Esther had it going on on the outside. What we didn't know was Esther had it going on on the inside. And while we are busy trying to show people how we got it going on on our Instagram posts, on our Facebook, Twitter, Snapchat, whatever you use, while we're busy trying to accumulate wealth, create a big net worth, live in a nice neighborhood, all the things that are trappings of this outside world, God's saying, when are you ever going to tend to the inside world? To recognize that all the things you have, all the opportunities you have are not meant for you. They're meant to position you to do great things for others. So your head bowed and your eyes closed. Maybe your prayer today is to say, God, forgive me for always making requests to you. Lord, what do you have for me to do for others? Let God speak to you on how you can impact and influence others. God didn't give you the position in your life just for you. It's to make an impact. You see, God sent his own son, Jesus, to die on the cross for you. Did you notice that Esther was willing to give her life, but she didn't? Abraham, last week, uh, two weeks ago, he was willing to sacrifice his son, but didn't have to happen. All these stories show people willing to die, but then they didn't have to die. Why? This is all foreshadowing because then there was one who was willing to die who did die. His name is Jesus. Jesus died on the cross for you. He rose again from the grave, proving that he's God. Now he waits for you to simply accept him into your life. You can pray this prayer and you can receive Christ as your Lord and your Savior right now. Just pray this prayer with me. You can just say, Dear Jesus, I realize I need you. I believe you died for my sins. And I believe you rose again. I ask you to come into my heart be my Lord and be my Savior. I repent of my sins. I put you in first place. Thank you, Jesus, for saving me. With your head bowed and your eyes closed, if you just gave your life to Christ, would you just lift your hand high all across our churches? You can just lift your hand high right now. Come on, Rodfield. Come on, Stone Oak. Just lift your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ. Come on, Padre Island. Just lift your hand high. Rockport Fulton. Come on. Lift your hand high if you just gave your life to Christ. Just hold your hand high. You're online with us right now. Just put it in the text chat right now. Just, just text the word hand raised. We'll know that you just gave your life to Jesus. You can click hand raised right now. Just let us know. Praise God. Hands going up all across our church right now. Thank you. We see those hands all the way in the back. Thank you. Thank you. We see those hands. Thank you. Thank you. We see those hands. Thank you. Praise God. Thank you. All the way in the back. All the way in the front as well. Thank you. Praise God. You're not alone. Many people giving their lives to Christ today. Praise God. Thank you. Thank you. Father, we thank you, Lord, that your word teaches us that we were positioned by you to make an impact, to make a difference. Thank you, God. But Lord, just as you told Esther, if we don't do our part, you'll raise someone else up. But God, we want to do the role you've given us. We want to play the part of who you called us to be, your people, making an impact, making a difference in this world. Thank you, God, that we get to be a part of that. Thank you for your word. Thank you for Esther, who lived out her faith and followed the purpose that you had for her. May we do the same. In your name we pray. And all God's people said, amen. Isn't God good? His word is so true.
true.